0: Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media, and a contributing writer on CIO.com, where I contribute to stories and write about boardroom strategies for technology leaders. Twice a month, we produce this show, CIO Leadership Live, with the generous support of CIO.com and our friends at IDC's CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on YouTube, and we welcome any of our viewers who are joining us here today to tap in with your own questions. We have one of our editors are watching the feed on LinkedIn and YouTube, and they will do their best to pass your questions along to my guest today. And that guest today is Scott Case, who is the CIO for Truist Financial Corporation. Scott oversees all of the technology, the operations, and the information-related services for Truist, which is a role he took on in December of 2019, just as the big merger was completing between BB&T Corporation and SunTrust Banks. Headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina, Truist has now become the country's seventh largest commercial bank. It has total assets of $541 15 million clients across 17 states and the District of Columbia. But the size of this merger wasn't even its most notable aspect. Rather, it was the major digital migration of millions of banking customers, which called for a unique engineering and cloud migration approach. And you're going to hear a lot more about that today. Now, before his current job, Scott was the CTO of SunTrust Bank's consumer segment. And before SunTrust, he was a senior executive with the Bank of America for more than 15 years, including head of technology for Europe and Asia Credit Services. Scott, it's so great to have you here today. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Mary Fran. Happy to be here. Look forward to the conversation.
0: Yes, sir, me too. Let's start out with a kind of a big-picture snapshot of Truist's business today, because this was a merger of two big regional banking corporations that actually turned you into a national player in financial services, and all this was starting up and kind of roaring into activity right as the global pandemic joined us in early 2020. So uh, tell me how everything is going for the business today.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mary Fran. That's a a big question. You know, I think the beginning of our merger, as you said, you know, we completed the legal day one component of that um, in 2019, end of Mm -hmm. 2019. Uh, And to your point, you know, that took two large regional banks and made it really a a very large bank uh, where we're able to reach many, many, many clients. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think, as I think about what that meant for our company and our clients, it was really the best of both, right? We've been able to bring, uh, a real focus on retail community banking, on our commercial clients, on capital service, servicing capital markets needs. Uh, you know, we have a large insurance brokerage. We have uh, uh, a really great digital uh, consumer lending platform called mm-hmm. Lightstream that we're able to offer to our clients. So it really was um, kind of a magical fit in terms of scope, capabilities and and geography. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, geography is not even bound anymore by by uh, states and, and countries—it's it's a dig- digital footprint, really. Now, so it, it's been very exciting, and you know, in terms of how how it's going, it's going extremely well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been since legal day one, end of 2019. It's been a lot of hard work to put the company together in terms of processes and culture, uh, and obviously systems and technology and data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are nearing the last major client-facing milestone. Uh, Actually, this month in February, uh, where we'll be able to say we are uh, finally one unified company on a unified set of platforms and systems and data. So it's a super exciting time and really Mm -hmm. proud of our teams that have accomplished that.
0: Well, and I appreciate you being able to join us at kind of a pivotal moment. You, know, you had said when we talked earlier that you were at an interesting pivot point because you're finishing up the last of this, this enormous tech migration, and I know we're going to talk about that a lot more. Um, so we mentioned that you're fully national in breadth. Are there any areas of financial service that, you, that Truist is not in these days?
1: For the most part, no. I mean, we we really do have a full service uh, breadth of offerings. And and again, it's exciting because our our offerings span, uh, you know, the digital capabilities that we talked about briefly, as well as physical for our clients. So, mm-hmm. when you think about the whole range of services for both retail clients as well as business clients, mm-hmm. uh, we really do offer the full scale, which is great. And I think the the beauty of our of our mission here at this company is we have a purpose, which is to inspire and build mm-hmm. better lives and communities. So, as we go after that purpose and deliver on that every single every single day, we we try to do it in the spirit of uh, you know, a large, uh, sixth, seventh largest size bank in the country, uh, with full mm-hmm. scale services, but still with a, a bit of a hometown feel for our clients.
0: Yeah, well, that aspect of being a mission driven organization is something I I often talk about with CIOs in healthcare or nonprofits. Uh, probably less so when you look at you know multi billion dollar corporations. So it's it's kind of nice to see that.
1: It, it is nice. And I think yeah. it's very much uh, it's a hallmark of our culture inside of this company too, on, on mm-hmm. our values and our belief systems. So we, we try to bring that every day for our, represent that to our clients as well.
0: Okay. Well, let's, let's take a ride up on that famous CIO helicopter view of the entire business and talk about um, the industry disruption and the, with arriving with the pandemic and the kind of impact that had on your digital business evolution. Uh, sometimes it's a real accelerator. Sometimes it's a catalyst for things that change. What happened for Truest as you were starting down this journey, and then our not such not such a friend, the global pandemic arrives. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, well, mm-hmm. like the pandemic for all of us was um, certainly a, a catalyst. I think that's that's typically the word I I reach for when I when I talk about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like many other CIOs, I'm sure you'll hear the the story and you have from time to, for over time the mm-hmm. last couple of years on how that catalyst really you know forced us to think uh, very intently in a very focused period of time about how to how to serve our clients, mm-hmm. you know, what their needs were. Uh, as well as internally, our, our internal teammates, which that's what we call our employees, our our teammates. So mm-hmm. when I, when you hear me say, teammates, I'm talking about our, fifty eight thousand or so internal teammates. Um, but you know, when I think about the 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 a digital transformation really mindset that came out of the the pandemic, that's that's what I quickly start talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Many examples, uh, you know, Mary Fran, like such such as. Um, how to service our clients remotely? Clearly, that was a, a big, a big need. Uh, you know, how to leverage uh, data and analytics differently in a more focused way uh, to deliver to our clients. Um, how to, how to, you know, speed up our internal delivery through techniques, uh, especially around automation, uh, to make sure that we're efficient in our delivery as a company for our technology services. So those are at least a mm-hmm. high level themes that I think came out of the initial days of the pandemic, but uh, that combined with our merger happening at the same time really, really forced us to get um, focused and serious about uh, what I would call a digital a digital transformation, which is still uh, evolving and ongoing. Yeah.
0: Well, and I, th- I think the thing about, and uh, you made a point when we talked earlier that the word digital gets kind of It sort of gets beaten to death as a buzzword in our our industry and that it often gets overused, but it can be handy as a catch-all description, especially when a digital transformation really is using a whole realm of digital technologies to transform what a business is doing. Um, Because you'd mentioned you've got digital channels, you've got mobile banking, you've got online banking, and all of that has been there, not necessarily just since the merger, but now it has, uh, it has accelerated in terms of the way business colleagues view it, I believe.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, maybe to replay some of that conversation we had prior, you know, we, Mm -hmm. The D- the word digital, I think, can be can be used to sometimes almost wallpaper over the the complexity mm-hmm. of, of what's really happening. In in my view, what's really happening and uh, has been happening for for several years, and will continue to, I think, accelerate is it, it's a it's a client driven uh, transformation, which uh, our clients are demanding. You know, speed. Mm-hmm. They're demanding efficiency. They're demanding accuracy you know they're, they're demanding to be serviced any place anytime anywhere that they that they need mm-hmm. and in order to do that uh, the right way you know behind the scenes inside of inside of our, our company we are focused on leveraging uh, technology uh, to help deliver on that expectation for our clients so when you wrap all that together to me it starts with a you know, design thinking, client experience focused start of the conversation, mm-hmm. and then bringing to the table tools and techniques that could be analytics, it could be uh, cloud architecture, it could be high levels of automation internally that help us move from designing for client experiences all the way through developing software to releasing mm-hmm. software in a continuous improvement, continuous delivery cycle through through automated automated techniques. Yeah. So For me, when you wrap all that together um, with an eye on business value and client value, that's how I would describe digital transformation, uh, more Mm -hmm. so than just the channels themselves. So hopefully that that gives you some perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, As you were coming into this, the newly merged entity and, and taking over into that CIO role at the end of 2019, what sort of reorganizing or moving resources around uh... did you do and how is that process going uh, i imagine it's it's probably ongoing you mentioned the um you know the d- design and the client focus of the experience, and that usually requires a certain amount of restructuring uh, for IT itself. Sure. And I'm trying to imagine yeah. like 58,000 resources. How you do that sort of thing? How did you approach it? Well,
1: to, yeah. To be clear, those you know those are all not my resources. Those oh, are okay. <laughs> those are spread across the company, uh, very mm-hmm. much uh, aligned to different parts of, of Truist and our and our broader company. Mm-hmm. But you know, when, when you think about um, you know, again, think about the catalyst, whether it's the pandemic or whether it's our merger, whether it's this broader um, phenomenon called digital transformation. Uh, it, it, it was clear that, you know, we needed to reorganize and think about maybe a different operating model. I, I probably would focus more on operating model than I would org structures initially to talk about it. But mm-hmm. what that means for me is that we we in technology had to take our, our teams and, and um really get embedded with our business partners so we started a journey actually beginning of the of the merger work um, to really align with business partners on hey how do you think about it as a product owner Mm -hmm. uh, versus maybe just a traditional uh, p l focus Uh, how do you how do you take product ownership and think about uh, an ongoing backlog of work you want to deploy how do you embed technology teams Further up in the value chain to be right at the forefront of design thinking and client-focused activity, um, and how do you create a you know a technology ecosystem that allows for continuous development? So we're sprinting mm-hmm. along the way. So really, what mm-hmm. I'm describing is this you know notion of an agile culture, right? Um, re- really, really, you know, buoyed by uh, the DevSecOps kind of culture
0: mm-hmm. and
1: processes and tools. And that is that is so much more of a cultural uh, shift than it is a technology or tool shift. You know, yeah. you really have to change mindsets and expectations.
0: Yeah. So that that's
1: probably been at the heart, uh, Mary Fran, of our of our journey, and, and I think is a is a, a hallmark of our culture inside of our technology organization as to how we want to operate and go to business go go to market with our business partners every day.
0: Yeah. Well, and you'd also mentioned when we talked previously that the digital transformation talking points that you probably had to spend a lot more time on a few years ago with business colleagues, that that whole conversation level has changed now with the business, because the uh, partly because of the success of the migration that you've done, but also, uh, I guess, getting more people into the conversation about where you want to go with products and how the digital supports it and so forth. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's 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 some really good stories there. You know, that I'd I'd say for both heritage companies, you know, SunTrust and and t which, as you all know, created the created Truest uh, by by merging those two companies. Hmm. So I, th- I think it applies on wh- whatever part of heritage Truist Truest you come from. That we've all been on a journey. You know, and that journey has been very much. Um, uh, reconnecting with our clients, understanding what drives their day-to-day lives—you know, their interactions day in and day out with big tech, or mm-hmm. uh, with with other maybe consumer products in their in their lives and their expectations have shifted. Mm-hmm. They've shifted largely because of the use of data, uh, the interaction of analytics, um, automation, uh, cloud architecture, scale scale busting technologies that mm-hmm. allow for fintechs to creep in right to the environment. Uh, and that's a good that's a good thing, not a bad thing necessarily. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's a comp- competitive aspect for us, but it, I view it as good competition. Um, so anyway, so you know, we, we, we several years ago started this journey with with business ex- executives. Uh, where it was mm-hmm. very much uh, maybe some education, maybe a couple of field trips to go explore and think differently and put, put the client back in front of us. Yeah. And I think through those, through those initial interactions, we really started to to change the conversation away from mm-hmm. traditional siloed PL thinking, perhaps, yeah. to more of uh, a put the client in the middle. And all of a sudden you start to see um, you know, with, with especially introduction of things like uh, the Internet of Things concepts, you very mm-hmm. much start to see ecosystems emerge. So inter- mm. interconnected platforms that our clients want to uh, uh, engage in and leverage day to day for their daily lives. Uh, and, and banking needs to begin, I think, that, that pivot to think that way. Right. So these are all things that really came out of conversations we had a few, mm-hmm. a few years back. Um, really came to the forefront there with our merger as we re-architected systems and processes.
0: Yes. Um, Also, I I like the way you refer to heritage systems. It sounds Mm -hmm. uh, to me, I mean, I uh, was with, of course, CIO Magazine, and then before that with Computer World. And I remember we were always talking about legacy this and legacy that almost like it was kind of an unfortunate sort of thing. But for banks and financial companies and insurance companies, uh, you know, legacy has been, that was almost the dawn of the computing age started with companies like that. And it's, right. it just, it somehow sounds just a little classier. So I kind yeah, of like I think, that. I think
1: it's uh, it's meant to be, uh, you know, a, 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 I think out of respect for where yes. we've all come from mm-hmm. and the fact that we, uh, we're better together versus individually and, uh, yeah. I think it's been a, it's been a good term. Yeah. Well, well, well embraced.
0: Yes. So. Well, good. Well, let's talk about another term that gets tossed around a lot in the CIO world and really in the work world today, where everyone talks about hybrid work strategies. Cause I think, you know, a year ago we were still having conversations about when this pandemic ends and when everybody's back in the office. And a lot of the thinking about that has just been moving in all kinds of directions. So, um, T- tell us about kind of the reality inside of Truist. How much was hybrid already? How are you viewing it right now? And which parts of it are, are still pretty much a moving target?
1: Right. Well, I'd have to start with when I use the word hybrid, I've been used to using it, talking about cloud architecture on the backside oh. of the word The word hybrid. We can talk about that maybe in a minute. Okay, too, we but, will. <laughs> you know, I, I'd say... Um, Hybrid working environments, you know, th- I think the word we've been using more is flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, prior prior to the merger happening, and certainly prior to the pandemic as a global catalyst mm-hmm. uh, for us all to maybe rethink uh, what working environments look like. I- I'd say that you know both heritage companies and so Heritage truest, generally speaking, was were were, were cultures that. Uh, very much valued and expected in-person uh, working mm-hmm. arrangements. Mm-hmm. I think the technology organizations, though, for the most part, have always been fairly flexible and fairly hybrid, uh, but I'd say still indexed a little more heavily towards in-person. You know, I think where, where we are now, Mary Fran, is certainly where the rest of the world is in terms of uh, number number one, flexibility is, is critical. Um, whether it's for health safety reasons or whether it's for, um, you know, mm-hmm. allowing uh, very professionals, very, very high levels of professionals to decide how to manage their week and their day and their, their life. And I always call it that work-life integration. I, I, I stopped mm-hmm. using the word balance a long time ago, but in, in integrating yeah. work and life together mm-hmm. um, it, is important. And also it, it, the last thing I'd say about it for now is, it, you have to think that way because we're in a total battle and war for talent. Yes. And and you know our 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 talent, the market is telling us that this is important, and we think it can actually be a, a, a competitive factor for Truist mm-hmm. to have a balanced view on flexibility, while also recognizing that we're building a new company essentially yeah. and being in person. Is also important, hence the flexibility and balance. Yeah. I think we are trying to find the right sweet spot for our teams to be together, but still also have, have the opportunity to, to flex when they need to. Mm-hmm. So,
0: well, and I think, and that sounds a lot of familiar notes in that for many of the enterprise CIOs that I've talked to in recent months. Um, everybody is a little bit torn on the idea of, you know, no one wants to give up the notion of being face to face and being able to write on those wonderful whiteboard walls that everybody's got in their, their corporate headquarters.
1: And and Mary Fran, if I could too, just, you know, our, our merger has shown that for I'd say a good 12 months because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic, we were remote, heavily remote Yes, and yet very successful in architecting, building and converting Mm -hmm. many of our heritage systems. Um, however, I will tell you as as conditions have allowed us to be back together mm-hmm. to get through all of these large milestones for our merger, when you see that interaction and people are back together, the energy level and mm-hmm. the, the the connectivity and the the impact to our culture and therefore the impact to results, mm-hmm. it's it's undeniable that it's gotta be both.
0: Yeah. It's
1: gotta be highly flexible and also acknowledging the fact that being together is, is critical. So I do mm-hmm. I do think flexibility is the key.
0: Yeah, well, and you had mentioned too, when we talked about you know the, the two plus years now, everyone's going through with the pandemic, that at first it was this big lift in productivity and, and all of the commuting time, which was now used so productively. But now uh, you had mentioned that you see a really interesting inflection point going on right now, that folks are exhausted, that it's kind of a grind taking over, and uh, followed by the hope that we get to some sort of new normal as we get into 22. As the CIO, what sort of advice have you been giving your direct reports and your managers for, you know, kind of working with that level of exhaustion? Because as you said, you know, you want to, you not only need to attract new talent, but you you definitely want to hang on to the talent you've got.
1: Yeah, you know, I think the word um, the word empathy comes up a lot in our conversations Mm -hmm. around this, and it's also one of those leadership lessons. I think we've we've I know I personally have it's been reinforced over the last couple of of years. But you know, I would I would tell my leaders who have you know large teams and and folks that are working nights, weekends, holidays uh, over the last two years, especially because of the merger work we've had on on our plate, that. Having being an empathetic leader, um, mm-hmm. where where your teammates feel they can come to you with concerns, issues, um, challenges, and you're going to be a good listener and help figure out what what a good solution is. Um, not and it's not at all costs. It's to is to really respect and value uh, our teammates and everybody. You know, if nothing else, we've all seen everybody's been going through something over the yeah. last two years, which has probably always been the case, but it's just been amplified mm-hmm. by, by the pandemic. And so I, I think that empathy level is is really, um, you know, it's not a conversation that I think it's sort of a natural conversation to always have had in technology. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's about engineering and architecture right. and execution and yeah. production and those, those fun topics, but being an empathetic leader and having that that as part of your fundamental culture is is mm-hmm. critical.
0: Good, good. Um, we have our first question from our, our live audience, and it's actually a very good one and a three-part one. So um, the question is, what is uh, the analytics roadmap in your organization right now? How do you really measure your analytics program and specifically, how do you measure the success from AI technology implementations? So let's dive into technology and uh, your um, your approach to analytics, because I know that that's very big on on the scope of the things that you keep track of very closely.
1: Yeah, I just jotted those down so I can make sure I hit all three parts. Um, Don't, and I have so, them
0: here, uh, I can also yeah, no repeat worries. them, yeah. All right, I'm so sure, good. I'm sure, I'm so, sure.
1: So uh, a- analytics is a thing about it, the roadmap of it, um, you know, we're, we're very much, uh, as I said, you know, we're still coming together as a, as a company in terms of our unified systems, which mm-hmm. means that our underlying data infrastructure is still coming together. Uh, and as most of you probably listening know, uh, analytics, right, is only as good in many cases as the... Data and the quality of the data feeding those analytical platforms. Sure. So I, I always start on our analytics roadmap with the, the fact that we're we're very clear about our our broader data strategy and our broader data roadmap, which I'm happy to say is really is really progressed. You know, we've made good choices along the way the last two years on target state mm-hmm. um, client client data, client reference data. Uh, still have a lot of work to do there, like most companies, I'd say. Um, in terms of the analytics component, though, downstream, uh, you know, we, we certainly have a, a few uh, preferred analytical uh, workbenches, and that's kind of how we refer to it. It's mm-hmm. our analytics workbench. Oh, I like that. Uh, you mm-hmm. have a handful of, um, you know, preferred tools on that workbench, and those come in the form and flavor of uh, a few of the industry uh, scalable platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so that roadmap's very much alive and well from a technical standpoint, I'd say another aspect of a roadmap, which is probably maybe even more important than the tools themselves. And even the underlying data is again, it's a cultural aspect of the roadmap, mm-hmm. uh, where we're, we're spending a lot of time with, uh, and in, 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 I'd say a kind of a centrally governed way, but a federated way where we have teams embedded in different lines of businesses, different functions. It could be risk. It could be fraud. It could be our capital markets business, commercial lending, et cetera those groups are very much evolving their strategies on how to leverage analytics for the benefit of our clients mm-hmm. or for the benefit of our internal teammates or processes. Yeah. So I'd say broadly, you know, like the roadmap has a lot of aspects to it. It's, it's, it's a uh, business value client centric uh, mm-hmm. there's a tool component and it's all being stitched together in terms of of how the data is coming together to support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I think, you know, Mary Fran, the other part of your, the question was how do we measure, yeah. uh, you know, that roadmap? Well, I'll, I'll probably talk more about, you know, we, we have um, a data and analytics working group that we have at the company that mm-hmm. I, I co-chair with a couple of my executive team members. Uh, so it's very much a top of the house um, focus, which I would always say is, is critical if you're going to, mm-hmm. if you're going to really progress on the data and analytics strategy. And certainly we have a lot of KRIs, KPIs and mm-hmm. uh, operational key indicators that are that are on our roadmap. So very good transparency, good governance. And I, I, I wouldn't underestimate the governance aspect. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's something we talk about all the way up to our board of directors around our journey, especially around data. Um, and then I think what the other part, Mary Fran, was around success of, of AI. Maybe you could yeah. Reframe that question for me, quick. So I well, can, and I, yeah, it. I was
0: I was just thinking through that, and I thought it might be helpful for you to give an example of a new capability that is enabled by AI, something that truest. Digital customers, which would be seven million people now, uh, might be seeing that you know because AI is is there behind the scenes in so many of the capabilities that we have increasingly taken for granted in all of our commercial dealings in our regular lives. So there might you might have a really good example.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's several good examples. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think one that that's fairly straightforward, but we. You know, we have analytics running in the background on our client interactions um, related to uh, credit card usage and um, trying to help our clients understand what that usage is, trying to possibly maybe suggest uh, a next best offer, et cetera. Those types of capabilities are in the background. Uh, you know, I'd say we have a lot of AI uh, type type things at work. And again, you know, when I say AI, it is it is a bit of a buzzwordy thing too. We can talk about it like digital. There's a range of AI capabilities sure. on the, the family tree of AI. Uh, we we have you know uh, text messaging. We we've been able to create uh, capabilities around that actually were born out of some of our pandemic needs mm-hmm. that are leveraging AI uh, capabilities and techniques. Uh, and then we have a lot of, you know, just robotics process automation or RPA that we're doing, uh, natural language processing, those types of capabilities that are applied in terms of our back office operation areas, uh, our client mm-hmm. uh, care centers, uh, leverage some AI techniques, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think AI is starting to permeate across many different uh, channels, capabilities, and platforms.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I noticed that too. I have uh, some CIO friends at big insurance companies, and the AI and the capability of doing virtual chats and the bots and everything were such a significant help, especially in the early months of the pandemic. I've got a, We've got actually questions are are lining up. I may not get the floor back again. So this <laughs> one is first of all great achievements. So you got a thumbs up from this next questioner, and um, the the query is about about agile development, which sometimes the team members and agile teams get more focused on activities that need to be completed in the current iteration, and they lose the big picture view. So, how do you approach or handle that at Truest?
1: Yeah, and I think we and mm. all of us that have um, entered into the agile culture waters can can attest to that. It, it sometimes mm. you start. You start chasing the backlog, uh, perhaps at the at the expense of the bigger bigger picture. Mm-hmm. I, I feel I feel good about how we're approaching that. You know, we have um, you know we have stood up a strong expectation that we have product management skill sets mm-hmm. in place, whether they come from our digital uh, uh, organization that that looks after kind of client experience related to digital experiences, mm-hmm. uh, or whether they perhaps come from a more traditional product or let's say P and L. Uh, and let 's say our consumer lending space, but the the point there is we have um, leaders who who really understand the product and the client experience, and we have processes in place that really tie those together mm-hmm. that's the guiding i 'd say if, to use the term like a compass heading that 's the compass heading we take uh, regularly through. What you would, if you've been in Agile for a while, what you'd recognize is pretty, pretty, you know, longstanding ceremonies like mm-hmm. stand-up meetings and program increments, and yeah, you know, we do a lot of planning. And by the way, when folks hear Agile culture, oftentimes they think um, you're winging it and you just kind of do whatever <laughs> comes you're to right. mind, you're but right. you got to do it quickly. Yeah. The reality is, Agile as a culture, if done right, is is, is a lot of planning. Uh, a lot of transparency, a lot of communication, Mm -hmm. and I feel good about our our focus on product management and client experience. That's really the the guiding compass.
0: Well, I think one of the greatest benefits that has come out of just in terms of the business colleagues really understanding the inner workings for technology and vice versa have been these agile groups that always include those product managers, that they're, you're getting different viewpoints. It's not just a group of very smart enterprise architects talking to each other in their own language. These are groups that are very hybrid in that they've got people from all sorts of, uh, it may be someone who is the head of the call center, for instance, who takes part in these groups. And I, I tend to think that that, has been one of the greatest ways that the IT profession itself has made such advances in their connection. And their, their it's almost like the thought leadership embedding in the business that way.
1: Yeah. And th- at the end of the day, the client's in charge, right? So you could, you could fool yourself yeah. into thinking uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's tech, technology for technology's sake, when in reality, the product manager should be really a proxy for client experience, and that's how we've tried to design our approach to agile.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. We have a third question here, Um, and this one is also very big picture. What is your plan for future of work? Do you foresee truest moving from conventional in-house partner models to opening up to platforms and gig talent?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a great question, actually. Yeah, uh, I, I'd say future of work, you know, it comes in different flavors. I think mm-hmm. for starters, we talked earlier, um, obviously, Mary Fran, about work environments, in-person flexibility, hybrid. So we kind of covered that aspect. So when I, but when I think about future of work, I do think about that as a component of our, of our strategy. Um, you know, we also, at, at Truist, we have deep... Um, and good relationships with many, many, what I'd say, more traditional IT mm-hmm. providers in the industry, both onshore and offshore. Um, we are always evaluating whether we have that right, whether we have the right mix, whether we have the right location. We're always thinking about talent. We're always thinking about resiliency. Mm-hmm. So that that's a that's another, I'd say, uh, thread on our future of work um, yeah. project plan to, to okay. kind of oversimplify. It. And then <laughs> really. Part of that question, though, is would, would we consider, you know, if you think about open source, you know, re, uh, leveraging the gig economy? Um, I, I think, you know, I think the answer is yes. I think we, mm-hmm. we need to probably weave that in slowly over time, but candidly, the more, relationships and partnerships we have across this broad what's called digital ecosystem that our Mm -hmm. clients expect to partake in every day yes uh whether they're bank banking or not banking but that's their expectation Mm -hmm. you you need to have an open enough architecture but done securely for our clients obviously that i think can leverage um a range of capabilities including partnerships with fintechs Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh partnerships with big tech Yeah. Uh, Partnerships with potentially other financial institutions or 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 payment organizations. Mm -hmm. And so I don't I think all of that means you have to be open to uh, what the gig economy and those skills can offer. Okay. And it it just as long as you have it done in a controlled way. And um, and it's not it's not the Wild West.
0: Well, good. And I think that was a very good answer to a very thoughtful question, but very big picture. Yeah. The next question is about um, cultural change inside the company and how you have been successful getting people on board with change, whether it's tech related or organizational. I'm sure um, you mentioned the importance of governance in working on agile with agile teams and and the approaches to these different technologies and I think the governance uh, to me governance always kind of ties into how you manage change and uh, CIOs are such change managers from early in your career um, and onward it's kind of it's it's almost like one of the table stakes I think for CIOs so Tell us about your theory and approach to managing all this dramatic change.
1: Yeah, uh, again, another great um, question. Fifty thousand feet, looking down <laughs> on this, and, and like the last two years, whether it's the pandemic or the merger, have been it's been it's been a bit of a crucible, if you can, if I could use that term for yeah. uh-huh. uh, living on the on the front line of. of of real change management. Mm-hmm. That's a great and, and to the question at the heart of that is culture. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think you could introduce a tool and say, this is the tool you're going to use. You can introduce new processes, you mm-hmm. can introduce whatever, but it, at the heart of managing change and sustaining change, it is, it is, it is hearts and minds,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, kind of work. Um, I, a couple of things that come to mind, Mary Fran, one would be, a word that is embedded in our mission statement. So when we formed Truist, uh, I had the, honestly, the privilege of helping create the words we used around our purpose, mission, and value statements that really formed the basis of our company Mm -hmm. day to day and and the the, kind of the fabric, right? How we talk about our company, Mm -hmm. how we talk about our teammates and how we hold each other accountable. There's a word in our mission statement and it's around our teammate mission in particular, uh, and the word is empowerment. Uh, so I'm a big believer on running an organization that has teams that are connected with a shared vision. So that's another word vision. Mm -hmm. Um, so we all know where we're going. We all know when we need to get there by those, those are sometimes that's my job to make those statements or Mm -hmm. others. Um, yes, we have good governance wrapped around it. So there's transparency, But that shared vision comes to life primarily through um, an empowered culture where our teammates can go get the work done and and feel like they're being held accountable and can hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I think about some of the keys to, you know, executing successfully on such a large transformation in the middle of a global pandemic over the last two years those are those are some of the initial things that come to come to my mind.
0: Yeah, well, and having words like that that uh, you're 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 living in real time in the company now that has to help with talent recruitment. When you have people that start talking with you know you're interviewing great candidates and they start talking with other people in your company, um, I would presume if it's really embedded in the organization, they start hearing that. And especially for millennial and Gen X, I mean they're looking for that.
1: Yeah, they, they are. I think, mm-hmm. I think I think our teammates or prospective teammates, let's say in, in the recruiting phase, are are looking for auth- authenticity.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, that's aligned to uh, a a set of beliefs and behaviors, which is to me is synonymous with culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the at the basis of that is a purpose oriented culture, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. At the basis of that is an empowered workforce. Um, and at the basis of, of all of that is, is a level of, um, really, really vulnerability that that's another word I talk about a lot with my organization is yeah. a leader that's empathetic and vulnerable, meaning you, you don't know all the answers and you need to ask for help. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I, I can assure you that that describes me <laughs> and, and but having all of that, I do think are some of the secret ingredients, maybe not so secret. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those to are, build the kind of organization yeah. we we want to build,
0: and those are actually ingredients that you don't want them to be secret. You want correct, yeah. You want it known out there and Correct. talked about. Well, I'm going to, um, we have a, a, a small gap in the questions right now. So thankfully, I can get to some of mine. <laughs> I have one on my list about a really, it's a it's a unique aspect of the work that Truist has been doing with um, your, your digital straddle approach. And this is something in November, I interviewed your CIO of innovation, uh, your director of all that, Ken Meyer. And we talked a lot about this. Um, it was this unique patent pending technology that uh, Truist has used to essentially migrate heritage system data and integrate it with the new digital systems very uh, not transparently to customers. Customers didn't, they didn't have to see any of the, the paddling like crazy going on below the water. So I want you to just talk a little bit about the digital straddle and how that has helped to move the dial Further and faster for you with the digital transformation efforts.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question. Well, hopefully, I, I give you as thorough of an explanation as Ken Ken Meyer did when you met with him. <laughs> uh, Ken Ken's a great leader on our, in our organization, yep. and to your point, he he has digital and uh, our consumer channels and segments. Yes. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, like, so the digital straddle the the, and I'll I'll describe it a little, at least at a high level on the kind of on a technical level, but. The straddle itself was um, a technique, an architecture that mm-hmm. we we came up with. And yes, it's been patented and all, all that good stuff yeah. um, a, as a mechanism to allow us to essentially at the heart of this, to de-risk the merger and conversion over the last 12 months. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is, um, you know, in the age of digital, right, that we live in today where our, our clients are consuming banking services off mobile or online banking, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We we didn't want to uh, go into a large conversion weekend where number one, you might be hard down on your platform for two, three days while you're doing a conversion. Mm -hmm. Number two, we didn't want to land all of our conversion into this really critical channel all at once with the rest of, let's say, the bank's technology ecosystems.
0: Yes.
1: So we devised this digital straddle, um, uh, approach that allowed with with uh, cloud architecture and an API toolkit that we mm-hmm. built alongside of it uh, to to really leverage um, regardless of the heritage database you're coming you're coming mm-hmm. from wherever your account information or transaction information might be originating from bb or SunTrust. Um, That that was not known to our clients, nor did they need to know. And it allowed us in in the end, Mary Fran, to to release digital and digital waves, release um, Mm -hmm. the truest online banking and mobile experiences all the way back, going all the way back to early last summer, late spring, uh, with the final rollout actually occurring this month. Mm -hmm. And to your point, we've been able to migrate close to close to 10 million clients to those digital channels. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been exciting to see that happen in waves over time, which is really de-risked the merger internally for us, but also hopefully added a, a better experience to our clients.
0: Well, and it's, um, it feels like an evolution of the way CIOs and development groups now approach these sorts of changes. I think you described it as pretty much the opposite of a big bang approach. It's you're not trying to boil the ocean all in one weekend.
1: That, 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 that's correct. And, mm-hmm. and, and fortunately, you know, that's a great example of, of us leveraging the tools and techniques that are, are available now in the, mm-hmm. in the digital age we live in, whether it's cloud architecture or uh, API toolkits to uh, engineer that. So we, mm-hmm. we didn't have to do the Big Bang deployment. Yeah. Especially for that yeah. channel.
0: Yeah. Now, with uh, all the work that you're doing now, and and the very many intriguing people and tech acts aspects that we've already talked about, there was one I wanted to bring up again because I was intrigued when we talked earlier, and you mentioned taking a best of breed approach, which had echoes for me in my my long career as an editor at CIO Magazine, and then before that at Computer World. Best of breed was something that kind of fell in and out of fashion, depending on whether it was all about platform architectures. Or uh, so when you talk about best of breed with cloud and digital, what do you mean exactly? And is this something that you've returned to at this point in your career? I, you know, you know what a pendulum there is in the industry on it. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. That uh, we we see those those patterns from time to time. Yeah. Uh, well, when we talked about Best of Breed, uh, it, it was in the context of our merger of equals, which mm-hmm. you know, we talked about it today, uh, BB&T, SunTrust coming together yeah. to form Truist. Uh, best of Breed was really the way we described um, our approach to choosing uh, which processes mm-hmm. uh, and therefore which systems and therefore which data, and you can keep going down the, down the stack, uh, which, which choices we would make. Uh, And the best of breed concept really originated from putting the client in the, in the center of the conversation. So it was uh, the summer of 2019. We Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time, weeks and weeks of uh, creating what we ended up calling uh, technology ecosystems. Uh, A a Mm -hmm. great example would be our deposit ecosystem, which, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, anybody who's dealt in that space would probably understand there's Hundreds of integration points off of your core deposit platform for a bank. Yes, um, but but identifying that and talking about it as what's the best for our clients because we have two choices. The, this mm-hmm. this merger when we announced it was 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 not a um, uh, for our clients was not intended to be an acquisition. It was not intended mm-hmm. to shift. The, the, the process or technology or data to one or the other, so there was a winner and loser. Right. It was really meant to be an opportunity to, to, to redesign and think about what the clients would need. And we applied that mindset in the retail space as well as the commercial space um, and made, made some, some hard decisions early on in this merger mm-hmm. that candidly, when my technology team had to go then execute on those decisions, in some cases, it wasn't the easiest path. Right? In some cases it was, uh, it perhaps was more complicated because mm-hmm. we were taking multiple components of best to breed. And in the digital example, Mary Fran, uh, we, we created something that was neither Heritage, SunTrust or bb We created a brand new digital platform architected on uh, on, on cloud architecture, mm-hmm. API toolkits, and really redesigned features and functionalities from the ground up. So in that case, best of breed didn't even apply. We, we, yeah. we created a, a new, what we thought best.
0: Yeah. That was almost sounds more like green field rather than best of breed.
1: <laughs> well, I think, I think yeah. we allowed ourselves to think green field um, oh. unless mm-hmm. it was clear that a, a best of breed was, you know, viable and, and a good result for our clients. And we, mm-hmm. and we ended up in many cases. In some cases, we chose Heritage X or Heritage Y. Mm-hmm. In some cases, we stitched together a best-of-breed solution. Yeah, And in the digital space in particular, we created a brand-new um, ecosystem.
0: Well, and in so. this um, – and thank you. That's a very good explanation. But in this new ecosystem, do you now have – more partners and outside suppliers to work with than you used to before, because I've heard best of breed sometimes applied to narrowing down the number of external vendors and partners and suppliers you might work with. What, what what's the state of that today?
1: Yeah, you know, we still we had we took the opportunity through the merger work uh, mm-hmm. to certainly uh, optimize and and in some cases simplify our our third party architecture. Um, But where we made decisions uh, around best of breed, we've been really intentional about uh, who our partners are in this Mm -hmm. new, let's say, ecosystem of of this best of breed environment that we feel like we've created. Um, And it it actually allowed us to really get back to the table with some of our partners and reinforce the desire to be to be partners, not Mm -hmm. to be. You know, not to look at it through the lens of just a contract, but to look at it like, hey, we're working on this together to build, architect, and sustain um, great client experiences that correlate to our purpose. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, while the net number is, you know, plus or minus at the end of the day on how many vendors or third parties we leverage, I'd say that the best part of this was it it created an an open door for us to re-engage with many of our suppliers, Um, Mm -hmm. And in some cases, new ones to really reinforce that message.
0: Great. Well, and this actually um, plays nicely into another question I have on my list about ecosystems. This one about an innovation ecosystem. Um, you have coming up, I think, early this year in Charlotte there, you're opening an innovation and technology center, which is going to be very much a public. And since we're we're talking about partnerships with suppliers and outside, tell us about the innovation and technology center. Uh, this is more than a show and tell for Capabilities and to to impress big customers, I take it.
1: Yeah, like I I get super excited um, about mm-hmm. the innovation and technology center. So I'll, I'll say a few things about it to try Good. to just paint the picture for for the audience today. Um, first of all, it's a it's a large space inside of our corporate headquarters mm-hmm. in Charlotte. Um, we took the opportunity to to build it from the ground up. So just from for starters, aesthetically. Mm -hmm. it's a it's an amazing space it's beautiful but the the probably more important thing is to your point this is not window dressing this is Mm -hmm. not uh just a storefront for uh innovation we will be moving uh this year we'll be moving uh teams so add think agile culture which we talked about earlier
0: yeah
1: we'll be moving teams into this space to co-create we will have research and design space which is already built out uh, for our actual clients to come in and, and do live uh, R&D sessions, we will have in this space a mini call center or contact center mm-hmm. uh, so that we can, uh, you know, look at, inspect and engage in the process of servicing our clients through that channel.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Uh, we mm-hmm. intend to bring what we're calling innovators and in residents uh, into this space, which we're, mm-hmm. we're inviting uh, to start with a handful of our of our partners into the space to co-create with us.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we're creating a network sandbox in the space to to kind of allow us to to do some things that are safe and secure and a and a different a- component of our network to mm-hmm. to try some things. So it, it is going to be super exciting. Um, you know, technically the space is open and we're starting to slowly get get our. Uh, Kind of find our feet with how we want to operate this. But throughout this year, as uh, the pandemic allows, Mm -hmm. uh, you can expect us to have our foot on this gas pedal. And it's just it's super exciting. I've been in many of these spaces literally around the globe. Yeah. Um, and I and I, I think this is uh, I'm biased, but I think this is the best one I've I've ever been in. Can and and you, at the end of the day, it'll be about the output, right? I mean, the space can be beautiful, yeah, uh, and, and you can have great ideas, but it's it's going to be about the value we drive for our clients and teammates mm-hmm. and our shareholders.
0: Yeah, can you give us any? Is there anything that you can talk about that is right on the forefront of something customers might see, or clients might see over the next year that could come out of your ITC? <clears throat>
1: yeah well i think we're you know we're working a lot right now, especially in the digital platform space so mm-hmm. you think about again i'm i'm um using the buzzword digital but in this case mobile online banking mm-hmm. and how we how we interact in that space we're also you know we're also looking at you know uh potential ideas around how do you how do you digitize uh the core of our of our core systems of our of our bank today we mm-hmm. like many other large financial services you know there's um, aspects of mainframe technology that, that we still have, and we're going to go mm-hmm. look at that. Uh, you know, and I think there'll be a lot of work coming out of um, other channels, whether it's ATM or uh, contact centers, all the different interaction points we have, we have with clients. Uh, and, and behind the scenes, it'll be it'll be real fun for our technologists, because we'll be deploying cloud architecture to support it. Um, and, and we'll have our, our analytics, um, and AI teams right there alongside of us yeah. too. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, I'd say, think about the client, think about those channel interaction points mm-hmm. and that's where there's going to be a lot of energy over this year.
0: Yeah. Has this been anything of a talent magnet for you? Have you noticed an uptick in your ability for instance to hire new university graduates in computer science?
1: Yeah. You know, we we absolutely are, are leveraging the the branding we're doing around this, the physical mm-hmm. space itself. Um I think that it's it's been an initial lift, and we certainly have had great success in the last year. On, uh, as an example, a, a technology and innovation program mm-hmm. for early hires coming out of out of different universities uh, with a variety of skill sets. By the way, they don't they don't all have to be hardcore computer science or engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, this space has been one, like I said, we've showcased it, leveraged it, mm-hmm. and I think to be fair, those those early hires are excited about it. And then just like I said, it's only as good as your output, right? It's only Mm -hmm. as good as your ability to sustain the vision, which we have, which is a really exciting one around client experience, design thinking, and a software engineering mindset that delivers products at at speed and at pace to our clients. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, our job is to um, keep it exciting and, and stay committed to, to that as a focus. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then um, as we wrap up our hour here, and as I promised you, this went by so fast, and I didn't even get to ask all my questions, but I have one of them that I, I think is always important to wrap up with, and it's about what this whole experience over the last two years now um, has taught you as a leader. Are there are there philosophies about leadership that you have seen change in yourself are there books or podcasts that you find inspiring um, and you know you've been transforming an enormous company in so many ways you must feel like that man in the room with the the plates that you have to run around and keep like nine or 10 plates in the air so what has all this taught you about your own leadership style and or what has changed with it
1: Yeah, thanks for the question. I'll I'll try to be brief so you you can wrap up on time. But I, I, um, you know, look, there's a lot I could reach out in terms of I could grab a lot of words that come to mind. I I think there's a Mm -hmm. few, though, that sort of always rise to the top. And over the last two years, one is the word grit. Uh, mm. and it, and it's also happens to be a great book by Angela Duckworth. So I'll, I'll just, I'll answer, I'll give you two answers there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a book that I, I like and a, in a philosophy I su- subscribe to, Great. but it, when you, mm-hmm. when you unpack that, that dialogue, it's really about perseverance. It's about intentionality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when you think about the challenges again, pandemic and or merger are both, which they both been colliding the last couple of years for us, mm-hmm. um, being intentional about a vision, putting the best talent you can on the field, um, empowering your leaders, uh, holding each other accountable, wrapped around a culture that values vulnerability and empathy. Mm-hmm. All, all sounds like those are magical ingredients you could have written, written, read in a book. And I guess I probably have along the way. Yeah. But they've been real disciplines that we've re- really been focused on the last two years that mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I guess it's, it's about leadership, right? As, as, as a leader, those are those are ingredients. I think, don't think you can just say mm-hmm. leadership. I think you, when you unpack that word, those are things that I would talk about. Yeah. So hopefully that gives you some insight and uh, it's been quite the journey. We have more to do and mm-hmm. I'm excited about all of that
0: good well and I, I think that comes across and and I think you're right that I think leadership is like one of those words that we talk about so much innovation and digital and and management and leadership in a lot of ways they've almost been decoupled whereas the management of different processes and people and technologies has I think spread more equitably through a lot of IT organizations but just the role of the CIO itself I I feel like we are in a lot of ways we, we this was our we were sitting singing to the choir with CIO Magazine for this for probably well over a decade about the importance of CIOs being the top business strategists. And I I think, you know, we used to talk all the time about the seat at the table. But I think the table's bigger. I think there's more tables. And I think the conversations that happen now between CIOs and business leaders are much more equitable in terms of both contributing to the other's thoughts.
1: Yeah, I, could, I couldn't agree more. So uh, I think the position of the CIO is is a high-impact uh, business transformative one, uh, mm-hmm. if if done correctly. So I, yes. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that today.
0: Well, it's it's been great having you here, and I really appreciate your staying with us on a whole roller coaster of lots of questions. We had really great questions from our audience. Yeah, they are good. So. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Scott Case, CIO of Truist Bank. If you joined us a little late today, don't worry. You can watch the full episode of my conversation with Scott here on LinkedIn and also later today on CIO.com and on IDG's YouTube channel, which is called Tech Talk. We, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and that you'll come back to see us again next time on Wednesday, February 23rd, when I'll be here with Vishal Gupta, who is the global CTO and CIO of Lexmark. Thanks again for joining us today. Please take a moment to sign up on YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk, where you can find all the 80-something previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. Stay well. It's been great having you here. We'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG
1: Communications Incorporated.